You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back everybody to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Balak. And Balak is the seventh portion in the book of Pamidbar, in the book of Numbers, and the 40th portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are only 14 more portions till the end of the Torah. There are 104 verses in this week's Parsha, 1,455 words, and 5,357 letters. There are no mitzvahs in this week's Parsha, but two very fabulous stories that teach us a whole lot of important lessons. So act number one is the king of Balak and the prophet Bilam. After seeing Israel's victory of the Amorites, Balak, the king of Moab, is terrified of the Jewish people. Balak summons Bilam, the mightiest prophet and sorcerer, with gifts to go and curse the Jewish people. Bilam tells the delegation to remain overnight and await his prophetic response. He's going to have a prophecy, and as we know, all the prophets, they have visions at night, and that's when Hashem communicates with them. Bilam tells the delegation to remain overnight. Hashem appears to Bilam and forbids his going. The Israelites are a blessed people, and so Bilam refuses. King Balak ups the ante and sends high-ranking officials to beg Bilam to go and curse the Jewish people. Bilam tells them, If you gave me houses of gold and silver, I cannot transgress the word of God. But stay here overnight and await the prophetic response. Hashem says he can go if he wants to, but only do as Hashem says. Bilam, the next early in the morning, saddles his donkey and travels with the Moabite officers. En route, an angel with a sword appears before the donkey and blocks his way. After Bilam strikes the donkey, it smashes Bilam's leg into the wall. Frustrated, Bilam strikes the donkey three separate times. Hashem miraculously opens the donkey's mouth. Why are you hitting me? I've been loyal to you. Don't you see the angel? Hashem now reveals the angel with his sword drawn to Bilam, and Bilam is able to see it, and he prostrates himself saying, I've sinned. The angel clarifies to Bilam that he may go only following Hashem's word, and Balak prepares a lavish welcome and takes Bilam to the hill overlooking the Jewish encampments. Each time Bilam attempts to curse the Jewish people, Bnei Yisrael, the words come out as blessings. Each time King Balak becomes more enraged with Bilam saying, I hired you to curse the Jews, and instead you're blessing them. King Balak finally sends Bilam away, sends him back home in disgrace, and then begins the second act of this week's Torah portion, the sins with the Moabites. Right before Bilam leaves, since his prophetic powers prove unsuccessful, Bilam resorts to a final plan, a parting shot against the Jewish people. He advises them to seduce the Jewish men with the Midianite women and to serve their idols as well. The plan is, unfortunately, successful. 
And sadly, many Jewish men sinned with the Moabite women and began serving Baal Peor, which was an idol. They were serving idolatry. Hashem instructs Moshe that the leaders kill anyone who serves idols, and a plague begins and kills many. Zimri, a leader of one of the tribes, publicly brings a Midianite princess into his tent in front of Moshe and the rest of the people. Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the high priest, pierces both the sinners, Zimri and the woman, with his spear, through the man, and into her stomach. And the plague ends with that, with 24,000 people dying. And that concludes the parsha of Balak. It's a riveting story of what happens to the Jewish people, a real-life story. But there are so many important lessons to learn from this. Firstly, it's interesting that all of the other leaders that tried to fight the Jewish people fought with force, with kinetic warfare. Here, Balak, King Balak, decides to take a different approach. He says, let's try spiritual powers. Because there are physical powers of the world that we're all familiar with. But to see that there's a spiritual power in the world that can influence. And I think it's something for us to realize that many times we don't allow ourselves to live in a world of spirituality, to live in a world of connection, a spiritual connection with with the Almighty. That things, yeah, one plus one equals two on a piece of paper. But in Hashem's world, one plus one equals to whatever He wants it to be. Hashem does not need it to make sense, for it to make sense, for it to happen. Hashem runs the world with miracles. And here, what King Balak was trying to do was trying to influence the world through the real powers of spiritual connection. Let's get the powers of blessings or curses to influence the Jewish people. Because in a physical way, nothing makes sense to begin with. And Balak saw that. King Balak realized Og was much more powerful than the Jewish people. The Jewish people living in a desert. They don't even have food. They have mana. They don't have arms. But they do have Hashem. So let's use the spiritual forces to overcome them. So then we see the unbelievable This whole story of this whole Torah portion. Imagine Moshe sitting there. Moshe is transcribing every word that Hashem tells him to write in the Torah. Moshe is sitting there and writing. Comes the Parsha of Balak, this week's Torah portion. And Moshe is writing the story out. Now Moshe didn't know this. Balak never approached Moshe. Bilam never approached Moshe. They were up there on a mountain on a hill overlooking the Jewish people. So why is the story mentioned in the Torah? And our sages tell us that we have something called divine providence. We have something divine intervention where Hashem always protects us even when we don't have a clue and perhaps never will. You know why you missed that ride? You'll never know. Maybe God forbid there was a car accident that you were spared from. Maybe there was you were saved from you know eating a certain food so that you don't get infected with a certain. You came to the store. You're like, oh, there's no more corn. Why isn't there any more corn? You get frustrated. You don't realize Hashem protected you because that batch 
had some type of virus or some type of a disease. We don't know how many times Hashem protects us. Here Moshe is writing the Torah as Hashem tells him word for word. And Moshe hears the story. He's like, when, when did this happen? Yeah, Moshe, while he was dealing with the people, dealing with the Jewish people, Hashem is busy protecting us from the hill. And when Bilam is trying to curse the Jewish people, Hashem turns everything into a blessing. So it's important for us to understand that there is the hand of Hashem constantly guiding us. Now, when things don't go our way, like here, the powerful prophet, Bilam, is trying to reach the Jewish people. He's trying to get there, and he's trying to curse the Jewish people. What happens? He gets stopped. Our sages tell us, by an angel. The angel is holding a sword. We can get into it another time. Why particularly was he holding a sword? But Rashi says that this was an angel of mercy. You know, sometimes you try to get a certain job. You try to do something. You try to go here. You try to go there. You try to, you know, make some type of business connection. You try, and it doesn't work. Everything you try to do just doesn't work. There's an angel blocking it. That's that same angel that was there to protect Bilam. It was an angel of mercy. The same thing is an angel of mercy protects us. That when things don't go our way, it's not because Hashem doesn't love us. On the contrary, it's because Hashem loves us that he stops us. And he sends this angel of mercy to stand in front of our way and not allow it to happen. Sometimes we're able to see it. Sometimes it'll take many, many years, sometimes decades, till we're able to see, you know what? How my life would have been different and more awful had that, that succeeded. Hashem made my life so much better. Hashem protected me. I didn't realize that that relationship or that business associate would have been a disaster for me. Instead of having regrets, a person should realize that Hashem is always watching over us. Hashem is always guiding our, our path, our way, in a way of success. So that, And he sends us this angel of mercy. Hashem is always talking with us and sending us messages. We have to understand it's a real world we're living in. It's a real world. Hashem wants us to take those messages and learn from them. Now, our sages tell us that it's not fear. The nations of the world are going to say, you know, if we had a Moshe, then we would have chosen to, to, to receive the Torah. If we had Moshe, we would have been the chosen people. If we had Moshe, we would have been Hashem's chosen nation. We would have accepted his Torah. Sages tell us, Bilam had greater prophetic abilities and they far superseded Moshe's abilities. Bilam was the most powerful prophet. But he used it in the wrong way. And the nations can never come and complain, oh, if we would have had Moshe, then everything would have worked out for us. No. It didn't work out because the prophet that Hashem gave them didn't utilize his powers properly. Had he done what Moshe did, 
selfless dedication for his people, guiding the people, showing love to the people, then it would have been a different story. But Bilaam didn't do that. And we see our sages tell us that Bilaam, when he was saying, oh, even if you give me a house full of gold and silver, even then I can't go against Hashem. Our sages tell us he was hinting to King Balak that that amount isn't enough, but I want more than that. If you give me more than that, I may do it. He was showing his greed. Look at the contrast. Look how Moshe, when the Jewish people were taking their gifts from the Egyptians, what did Moshe do? What did Moshe take? Moshe took nothing. Moshe didn't take a single thing. Moshe was busy collecting the bones from Yosef. Moshe was cutting down the woods that they're going to need for the tabernacle. Moshe wasn't busy with collecting loot. He wasn't busy collecting possessions because Moshe understood it's not about your possessions. It's about your relationship with God. Bilaam didn't. And he was carried away by his desire and temptation for luxuries, for money, for wealth. And that greed is what turned them aside. So even though Bilaam had much greater abilities than Moshe, Moshe was far greater than Bilaam because Moshe utilized his powers appropriately. It's interesting that first Hashem tells Bilaam, no, 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 I forbid you from going. Don't go with Balak. Don't go with King Balak. Don't curse the Jewish people. And then the second time he says, okay, now you can go. And we see at the end, even though he wasn't successful, he does succeed ultimately at the end with his final trap for the Jewish people with the enticement of the Midianite women, we see that he does succeed. So we see firstly that money-hungry Bilaam wasn't willing to forsake God. Even though he was, he was money-hungry, but he still says, I can't go against Hashem. The question that every Jew needs to ask, and I believe this with my entire heart and soul, that even for a million dollars and even for a billion dollars, no Jew would desecrate Shabbos. If someone tells you, I will give you a billion dollars, but desecrate Shabbos, I don't believe there's a single Jew on planet Earth that would do it. Because the value of Shabbos is far greater than anything you can possibly imagine. Any money in the world, our commitment is even greater. Because when we recognize the love that Hashem has for us, when we recognize the relationship that we are able to build with Hashem, all the money in the world is nothing. It's nonsense. If you walk over, I'm here in Passaic, New Jersey right now. If you walk over to a, a, a Shomer Shabbos Jew here and you say, listen, let's make a deal. I'll give you a billion dollars. You desecrate Shabbos. And you say, you crazy? I want to desecrate for 20 billion. For a, hundred, for a trillion dollars, I want to desecrate the Shabbos. Because someone who understands the true power of Shabbos, the true power of a mitzvah will never, ever forsake it. It's something to learn from Bilam. That even though at the end he fell, 
And he failed in this mission because he was tempted by his desire for money, desire for wealth, and desire for all of that. The Jewish people, we need to be greater than that. But we also see the power of will. The Talmud tells us, If someone comes to become holy and to become uh, sanctified and wants to connect with Hashem, he's assisted from above. And if someone, God forbid, wants to do evil things, they open the door for him. Go right ahead. A person's will has unbelievable powers. And if we will to do something that is great, we will do something, we will accomplish it. Nothing stands in the way of desire. Someone who truly desires to do something will ultimately succeed. And we have to always remember that we see that from Bilaam, even though he failed time and time again in cursing the Jewish people, his desire, A, for the riches that King Balak was going to give him, but B, because of his hatred for the Jewish people, even though he wasn't able to curse them as a prophet, he was able to find another crafty way to get them to fall. This is something which is important for us to note. It's something for us to realize that we all have tremendous power to accomplish great things. Unbelievable powers to accomplish great things. And finally, we see that Pinchas, at the end of this week's Torah portion, takes his spear, he becomes the judge and the executioner, and he goes after Zimri, and he stabs Zimri with his spear, and the woman that he was with, the Midianite princess that he was with, and puts the spear right through both of them. There are a couple of ways to look at this. I mean, a person can look at this and say, wow, that's violent. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that the Torah would be re- rewarding somebody who's being violent, someone who's doing such, who's acting in such a way. But we see that the contrary is true. We see that he is greatly rewarded. What is he rewarded with? He's rewarded with the prize of peace. with a covenant of peace. He's rewarded with priesthood, which was the symbol of peace. He's the only person who, after the fact, became a Kohen. After they were already designated as the family of Aaron, Pinchas was added. Why? Because that's the reward for following the truth, for seeking the truth and wanting to do the right thing. And here, Moshe could have done it as well. Moshe could have done this as well. It says, our commentaries tell us, that Moshe, Hashem hid that ability from Moshe to see that incredible clarity so that Pinchas can get his chance of being the zealous, righteous, proper Kohen. Hashem hid it from Moshe for a little bit so that Pinchas can jump in and do the, do the right thing. One of the things we see from this is that everybody has their chance to shine. Everybody has their opportunity for the, their day of glory. It wasn't to slight Moshe, on the contrary, it was to elevate Pinchas. But he was rewarded greatly for doing this. 
not always do we get the reward immediately. But Hashem rewards those who do the right thing for the right purpose. If a person is running around commenting to people, do this or do that, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, you have to know what's the source of it. And every person needs to calculate for themselves, what is the reason I'm saying this? What is the reason I'm doing this? Is it because I really, really care for the glory of Hashem? Or am I just doing it because it makes me feel better? That I can be above someone else? That I can, sure, you know, you should be doing better. You should. Or are we doing it because we really care for Hashem? Many, many times, for example, when people are shushing other people in shul, someone is talking in shul, so there are people who like to go around and saying, shh, no talking in shul. I think it's important for a person to think for themselves, what's the real reason they're doing that? I'm not saying that people should talk in shul. The halacha tells us, and we learned this in our Living Jewishly podcast, it is forbidden to talk in shul. It is forbidden to talk during prayer. But who made you the person to quiet them down? Is it your real desire to honor Hashem? Or is it just because you want to feel empowered over someone else we don't know the answer to that but we need to ask that question and i think that it's very important for us to always dig deeper into what's the real reason behind it what's the real meaning behind it all right so my dear friends hashem should bless us with an amazing shabbos an uplifting shabbos 